Good morning, everyone. As we come into a new year, and we've been thinking about last year, 2016, and I think most of you would agree it was quite an um, unusual year in many aspects <laughs> around, around the world, um, with all the um, things that went on. And what struck to me was the amount of earthquakes that were happening, which sort of um, brought me back to Luke, Luke chapter um, 21, verses 7 to 12, which I'll just quickly read out. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you are not being deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for, nine, for my name's sake. So as we start the new year, I want to share a story from the Bible with you today, which will be an encouragement in these uncertain times. So this story is a drama filled with suspense, romance, murder, jealousy and anger. They are heroes, they are villains, rich and poor. And with, as with any good story, it has a happy ending. It's probably one of the most interesting stories in the Bible, and yet one that many people have never read. It's the story of Esther. In fact, an entire book in the Old Testament is dedicated to a story. It is one of only two books in the entire Bible named after a woman, the other being Ruth. So if you can turn your Bibles in your Bibles to Esther, we'll be going through the, the whole book in different um, portions and pick out the highlights of um, this lady's life. So for those of you that are not so familiar with the story of Esther, it is a story of some major characters, a king, Haman, a prime minister, Esther, and Esther's righteous cousin, Mordecai. The events in the book of Esther extend over a decade, from 483 BC to 473 BC. Xerxes, called Anaserus, throughout the Hebrew text of Esther, ruled the Persian Empire for 21 years from 486 to 465 BC. The heroine of the story is Esther, and this is her Persian name. Her Hebrew name was Hadassah, and it is the Hebrew name that will give us a deeper insight to her purpose and our destiny. So we should turn to Esther chapter, 27, uh, chapter 2, verse 7. And um, it introduces this young lady. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. Now scholars agree that the name Hadassah is a feminized form of the word Hadass, meaning myrtle. The masculine noun Hadass means myrtle, 
And the myrtle is a perennial shrub with white flowers that were used for perfume. The Bible uses myrtle a few times symbolically. For example, myrtle is also mentioned as one of the plants when which the returned Israelites made the huts for the Feast of the Tabernacles in Nehemiah 8 verse 15. And they should announce and proclaim in all their cities in, in all Jer- in Jerusalem saying, Go to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Myrtle twigs, particularly those of the broadleaf variety, together with a palm branch and twigs of willow, are still used in the ritual of the Feast of the Tabernacles today. It is mentioned as one of the choice plants in the land. This is in Isaiah 41, 19. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Isaiah 55 verse 13 is one of the prophetic pictures of God's promised blessings. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, instead of the briar come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Myrtle, as in used in scripture, the Hebrew word hadak. And as we look at these Hebrew letters, we come to the meaning of this tree. Hey, the symbolic meaning, meaning the to reveal, literal meaning behold. Dalet, symbolic meaning pathway to enter, literal meaning door. Shamek, symbolic meaning support, twist slowly, turn, literal meaning prop. So what does that tell us about the myrtle? The The first two letters, Hey and Dalet, Show us a picture of behold the door, or to reveal the pathway to enter. The final letter, Shamek, is the prop or support, and thus prevents the closing. Therefore, in one sentence, the myrtle picture, behold the open door. Thus, the myrtle reveals to us the open pathway to enter. So, coming back to the story of Esther, it all began in ancient Persia in the 4th century BC. The holy temple had stood in Jerusalem and was destroyed more than 50 years earlier. And the Jews were subjects of the mighty Persian Empire, which extended over 127 lands. So three years after King Ahasuerus ascended the Persian throne, when he felt secure in his new position, he celebrated by throwing a grand 180-day long party for all his subjects. Following this extravaganza gala, Asahiris hosted a smaller week-long party for the residents of the capital city of Shushan. In the palace's women's quarters, his wife, Queen Vashti, hosted her own party for the Shushanite women folk. So as we turn to Esther 1, um, verses 1 to 22, and I'll read this out. Now it came into the days of Asuras, who was Asuras, who reigned over 127 promises from India to Ethiopia. In those days, when King Asuras sat on the throne of the kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, that was in the third year of his reign, and he made a feast for all his officials and servants. The powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, the princesses of the provinces, being before him. When he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty, 
for many days, 180 days in all. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people that were present in Shushan, the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white and blue linen curtains, fastened with cords of fine linen and purple, on silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were of gold and silver on mosaic pavements and alabaster, turquoise, white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king. In accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ashurus. In the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehum, Bistha, Habana, Bigtha, Abaktha, Zetha, and Karkas, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing a golden crown, in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men, who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all those who knew law and justice, those closest to him being Koshin, Shitha, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, Barsina, Mekmukan, and the seven princes of Persia, Media, who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of King Asuherus, brought to her by the eunuchs. And Memukan answered before the king and the princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in the provinces of King Asuherus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women, so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes. When they report, King Asuserus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies of Persian media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard the behavior of the queen, and there will be excessive contempt and wrath. If it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and be recorded in the laws of Persians and Medes, so it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more to, before King Hesus and let the king give a, glory, a royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree, which he will make, is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all wives will honour their husbands, both great and small. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to Mimikon, then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province to his own scripts, and to every people in their own language, and to each man be the master of his own house and speak in the language of his own people. So here we have the introduction where the king was, um, or the officials were quite worried that if um, there's no punishment to Queen Vashti, that this could spread to all the women folk and there'll be uprising in all the households of the era. So the um, Queen Vashti was put to death and they requested that a queen replace 
um, this particular lady. So when Asherus' wrath was dissipated, he was lonely for another wife. So his servants suggested that he orchestrate a beauty pageant. Officers will be appointed in all the king's lands, and all beautiful girls will be brought to Asherus. And the girl who would find favor in the king's eyes would be the new queen. So as we turn to Esther chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. After these kings, when the wrath of King Ashesera subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what she had decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be brought before the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan and the citadel, to the women's quarters under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, and custodian of the women. And let beauty preparations be given to them, and let the young woman who pleases the queen be queen instead of Queen Vashti. The thing that pleased the king, this thing pleased the king, and he did so. In Shushan, the citadel where there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father or mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as her own daughter. So it was that the king command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Hegai, and Esther was also taken to the king's palace to the care of Hegai and the custodian of the woman. Now the young woman pleased him, and he obtained his favor, so he readily gave her beauty preparations to her, besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace. He moved her and her maidservants to the best palace in the house of the woman. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai placed in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each of the young women turned to go to King Esther's after she had completed 12 months' preparation, according to the regulations for the women. And thus were the days of the preparation of portions, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months of perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went out, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the woman, to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who kept in the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted her and called her by name. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abigail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go to the king, she requested nothing but what Hegel, the king eunuch, the custodian woman, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So as Esther was taken to King Asherus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of the reign, the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head, 
and made a queen instead of Vashti. So here we have this young lady who um, didn't even have to put on extra perfume, makeup. Um, she was naturally very beautiful, and the king fell in love with her. So shortly after Esther became queen, Mordecai overheard two of the king's chamberlains discussing a plot to assassinate the king. He informs Esther, who thus in turn warns the king, and the men involved are put to death. And into the story becomes the prime minister, Haman. Haman is the second in command to the king. He is a man who loves power. He demands to be worshipped by the people of Persia. Haman was a virulent Jew-hater. In fact, he was a descendant of the notorious anti-Semitic nation Amalek. The Amaleks were a people of the Negev, an adjoining desert that were a hereditary enemy of Israel, from wilderness times to the early monarchy. Amalek, a son of Esau's son Eliphaz, was presumably the ancestor of the Amaleks. So as we turn to the next chapter, 3, Esther 3, starting at verse 1. Continue the story. After these things, King Ashurseris promoted Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agonite, and advanced him to set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were with the king gave bowed and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. And the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened, when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman, to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they told him of the people, for they told him of the people of Mordecai instead. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Assyrus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Assyrus, they cast poor, that is, the lot, before Haman to determine the day and month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to the king Assyrus, Is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom? Their laws are different from all others' peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet, ring from his hand, and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadetha, the Agarite the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do with what seems good to you. So immediately um, after this promotion, the king issued a decree ordering everyone to bow down to whenever Haman appeared. Now Haman would walk around with a large idol hanging from, hanging from a chain around his neck. When Mordecai, a proud Jew, Refused to bow down, Haman was infuriated. He resolved to take revenge against all the Jews and through lots determined the lucky day when he would implement his plan. The lot fell on the 13th day of the Hebrew month of Adar. 
Haman approached Ahasuerus and offered him 10,000 silver talents in exchange for permission to exterminate the Jews. Ahasuerus, who was no friend of the Jews either, told Haman, the money is yours to keep and the nation is yours to do as you please. Haman immediately sent proclamations to all the king's land. These declarations, sealed with the royal signet ring, ordered the people to rise up against the Jews and kill them all, men, women, and children, on the following 13th of Adar. But Mordecai would not bow down or pay him honor. Mordecai worshipped God alone and would not bow down before any man. Mordecai is asked why he would not bow down before Haman. He simply replies, I am a Jew. In a fit of anger, Haman convinces the king to issue a decree to have all the Jews in Persia put to death. So we advance the, the story of Esther. We turn to the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned that all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as in front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning amongst the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. And then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take a sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, to whom he had appointed to attend her, and she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn and why this was. So Mordecai became aware of the decree. He rent his garments and donned sackcloth. He sent a message to Esther asking to approach the king and beg for him to spare her people. Esther responded that, according to the rules, anyone who entered the king's presence unsummoned would be put to death, unless the king extended to that person his golden scepter. So we carry on in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And Mordecai told them to answer to Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom or for such a time as this. So here Mordecai tells Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. So Esther agreed to approach the king. She decides it would be far better for her to die than to allow such a terrible thing to happen to her people. She decides it would be better to die doing God's will than to live in disobedience. But she did ask Mordecai for one thing. She asked Mordecai to gather all the Jews in Shushan and let them fast for three days and three nights. And after this fast, Esther would put her life in her hands and the king, and approach the king. So in 16, go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink day or night. And Mordecai complied with Esther's request. He gathered the Jews of Shushan, especially the children, 
22,000 of them, and they fasted, repented, and prayed to God. For three days, night and day, Esther, Mordecai, and all the Jews in the land fasted and prayed. On the third day, Esther entered the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall and waited for the king to respond. Would he extend the golden scepter, or would he put her to death? As she approached, the king's love for her was very evident. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. So we turn to Esther 5, verses 1 to 3. Now it happened in the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across the king's house where the king sat on the royal throne of the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight, and the king held to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther went nearer and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, What do you wish, Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you half the kingdom. So here we have this amazing um, story where nervously Esther approaches her husband and because of his intense love for her, he welcomed into her presence even though he hadn't officially commanded to her. And then Esther um, used a, a secret that's been passed down from woman to woman for, for centuries. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. So, this very wise woman, what does she say next? So, in Esther 5, chapter 5, verse 4, So all Esther asks is that the king and Haman have lunch with her. At lunch, the king asked Esther what she wanted. This intelligent woman, woman said that um, said um, Esther invited the king and Haman to have supper the next day. Haman runs to his friends, boasting about being invited to have supper with the king and queen. As he is telling his buddies about how important he is, Haman notices Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. Haman burns with hatred towards Mordecai and decides to build gallows 75 feet high and ask the king to have Mordecai hanged in the morning. So we turn to Esther 6, starting at verse 1. The night the king could not sleep, so, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bikrathan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. When the king said, What honour or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king had Mordecai on the gallows that he prepared for him. The king's servants said to him, Haman is here standing in the court. So the king said to him, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honour? Now Haman thought in his heart, Whom would the king delight to honour more than me? And Haman answered the king, For the man who shall be king's delight to honour, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, and has a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to their hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honour. 
Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone for all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him to the horseback to the city square, and proclaimed before him, Thus shall be done to the man whom the king delights. So here we have this proud prime minister, this Jew hater, suddenly got his comeuptance, um, thinking that the king was about to um, bestow great prestige on him. But through the, um, the vision that he had the previous night, and he realized that he hadn't um, you know, thanked Mordecai for what he had done in saving his life, he bestowed this honor on Mordecai instead. So, going back to the, the, the supper that Esther had organized on the following day, and this is in um, Esther chapter 7. I found favor in your eyes, King, O King, Esther pleaded. And if it pleases the king, let my life be granted for me by my plea, and the life of my people by my request. For my people and I have been sold to be annihilated, killed and destroyed. Esther then identified Haman as the evil person who wished to perpetrate this atrocity. The king was greatly angered, and he was then informed that Haman had built gallows for Mordecai. He ordered that Haman be hanged on this very gallows. So on that day, Haman's estate was given to Esther, and Mordecai was appointed prime minister instead of Haman. But Esther was far from satisfied. Haman was dead, but his evil decree was still in effect. So according to Persian law, once a king issues a decree, it cannot be rescinded. But the king gave Mordecai and Esther permission, and they promptly wrote up another decree that countermanded Haman's edict. And the decree granted Jews permission to defend themselves against the enemy. So that's a, a basic um, highlights of the story of Esther. But the important thing for us today is what's, what are the lessons to be learned from this story. So the first lesson is never forget God is in control. You can trust him. Do you realize that there are over 170 passages of scripture which speak out about the providence or divine guidance of God? For example, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Psalm 146, verse 7. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Another example, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. This is what the Lord says. Here points the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moons and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea that the waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Matthew six twenty six, a very well-known verse. Look at the birds of the air. They do not rope, do not sow, um, reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. It is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those that love him. On and on we could read. God has displayed his providence throughout all history. He saved Noah, protected Abraham, delivered the Israelites, 
divided the Red Sea, supplied manna and quail, conquered Canaan, fought the battles for Israel, feed Elijah and the widow, warned Joseph in dreams, warned the wise men of Herod's true desire, protected Paul, cared for John when he was on the island of Patmos. We serve an all-powerful and all-knowing God who will never leave us or forsake us. He is always with us. So some of you might be wondering, where is God? So in answer to that, he is with you. People may read the book of Esther and think, what a bunch of coincidences. But I read it and I thought, God has worked this out. God was working his plan when Esther became queen. God played Mordecai in a position to uncover the plot to kill the king. Late one night, God reached down and touched the king with a little insomnia. So he would remember Mordecai's faithfulness. So when the Jews were crying out to God to save them from death, God was already working it out. So like driving a car, we can only see a little of what lies ahead. But God is like an eagle. He knows what trouble lies ahead. He begins working out tomorrow's problems today. God knows our situation. He is already doing the needed work. Have confidence in that fact. He is in control. Lean on the providence of God. He will take you through today in order to prepare you for tomorrow. Wait on him. As foolish as it sounds, God knows what he's doing. The second lesson that we can take from Esther is never forget who you are. You are a child of God. We are God's people, God's children. Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, 15 to 17, that we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, I'll be a father to you, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we are citizens of heaven. Esther could have ignored who she was. She was in no danger of death. The Jews would have been put to death, but the king did not know that she was a Jew. If she had kept silent, she would have been spared. But by speaking up, she risked being put to death herself. But she knew that she was a child of God first. The queen of Persia was a secondary title. First and foremost, she was a Jew and a child of God. Esther remained true to who she was. The third lesson that we can take from this book is that never forget that God's promises are trustworthy. I wonder how Mordecai felt. He had uncovered a plot to kill the king. He had saved the king's life, yet he did not even receive a simple thank you. He could have become bitter. He could have become angry with the king. Next time I'll let them kill you. He could have done so many things out of human frustration and anger. But what did he do? He remained faithful to the king. Stay focused. Don't give up. Continue to trust in him. God is faithful in his promises. Mordecai continued to serve the king. The night the king had the official records read to him, he realized that Mordecai had not been thanked properly. It turned out to be the best thing that could have happened to Mordecai. Haman had planned to kill Mordecai the next morning. It worked out, if not for the king remembering the day that Mordecai saved his life. So as we read at the end of the book of Esther, Mordecai is placed in the position of Haman once held, second in command to the king. Mordecai was elevated to a high position in the Persian kingdom. 
Unlike the king of Persia, God remembers his promises. He is aware of our faithfulness. He knows the struggle that we are experiencing. He plans to keep his promises. He will never fail us. But life is a vapour of time. It is passing quickly before us. Are we a people who live with an eternal mindset? So what do I mean by that? People of an eternal mindset are people who realise that this life is not all there is. They live their life realising that even if they struggle here and now, the day is coming when heaven will be their reward, when they will see God, the King, face to face. The day is coming when he will reward his faithful servants. We will stand before him and hear him say those words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter unto your reward. Yes, God wants us to bless us here on earth. God has so many things in store for us if we still remain faithful to him. But nothing can compare to the reward he has in store for us people, for his people. So if you're wondering where he is today, realize again that he is right here with us. He will never leave us. His strength will hold us up. His promises are ever true. Just wait on him and your strength will be renewed. You will mount up on wings of an eagle. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not faint. Just wait on him. Jesus makes this promise in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. He that overcomes... Jesus' promises will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but acknowledge his name before the Father and his angels, as is recorded in Revelation chapter 3. So in conclusion, um, the summary of the lessons of Esther. First, never forget God is always in control. You can count on it. While you may not be able to see what is around in the bends of life, God has an awesome view. He is working out tomorrow's needs for your life today. Second, never forget who you are. We are God's children. He is our Abba Father. And just as good Father desires to bless his children, so our Heavenly Father desires to bless his spiritual children. We are not of this world. We have citizenship in heaven. Never forget God's promises are trustworthy. Don't give up. Hang in there. His blessings and rewards will come. God always keeps his promises. We do not know what's going behind the scenes, just like what happened in Esther, but we just need to trust in God. So in looking at the importance of the door in Hadassah's name, we see the vital link that Jesus illustrated in our pathway to our destiny of uniting with him. In order to draw near to God, we need to go through the door. Jesus is the door. And it is only through him that we can, in the flesh, enter into the inner room. Holy of Holies, where God dwells. In John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go out, in and out, and find pasture.